Hello, all you wonderfully strange and unusual creatures. I'm Corey. And I'm Courtney. And this is Sinister Crimes and Cocktails, a true crime show that digs into the dark depths of sinister minds, their menacing crimes, and mistakes left behind, all while sipping on a sinister cocktail masterminded by Corey for each episode. We want to first start out by saying that our sinister cocktails featured for each episode is just to help us lighten the mood a bit on the dark and horrific crimes we cover. And in no way, shape, or form, are we trying to make light of the horrific crimes. Please know our hearts go out to the victims, their families, and friends, and law enforcement affected by each of the cases we cover. Corey, what sinister cocktail have you masterminded for today's episode, kicking off March's Irish Crimes in celebration of St. Patty's Day? I'm calling this one the Dapper Irish Killer. One and a half ounces of Irish whiskey, two ounces of Irish cream, half an ounce of amaretto liqueur, sweetened black coffee. Start with a coffee cup of your choice, filled halfway with the sweetened black coffee. Then in a shaker, combine all the other ingredients and give it a good shake for five seconds. Then strain the mixture over the coffee in the cup, garnish with some whipped cream and a sprinkle of nutmeg. And as always, enjoy. And I have to say, I really, really like this one. It's so good. I know. It it totally touches all your Irish roots there, Court. It absolutely does. (laughs) Good job. So, all you strange and unusual creatures, pour yourself a cocktail and settle in for this sinister true crime, the Dapper Irish Killer. Believe this, you're going to need it. Murders are relatively a rare occurrence in Ireland, but when one does occur, it typically shocks the country to its core. Malcolm MacArthur, an eccentric socialite, is undoubtedly one of Ireland's most infamous murderers. In the summer of 1982, after Malcolm had depleted his hefty family inheritance, a family whom he had deep-rooted issues of endured childhood abuse, would devise a sinister plan of a series of unbelievable and bizarre robberies to continue living the life of luxury, ending in a double murder and Malcolm being arrested in the home of of Ireland's attorney general at the time. So, was this a man who had endured childhood trauma that turned him into a cold-blooded killer, or was this a sinister mind that loved wealth and would go to any means to keep being a man of leisure? Oh, dun-dun-dun-dun. It's definitely a sinister mind that would go through any means to be able to keep a man of leisure, is my opinion on this one. It has a little bit of um, some Jack the Ripper vibe to it, you know? I know Jack the Ripper's Lynn, but this one kind of has some Jack the Ripper vibe to it. I mean, I wonder if they share some DNA. Maybe. That'd be so cool. What if you discovered something? (laughs) Oh my gosh. That would be so funny. (laughs) Malcolm MacArthur was born on April 17th, 1945, bred from a wealthy farming family of Scottish extraction that settled at Bremont, an 800-acre estate near Trim in County Meath, Ireland. It is known that Malcolm harbored deep feelings about his parents. He was regularly beaten by his father, Danny MacArthur, who abandoned him when he was a child. I'm just going to say right here that I think this is going to leave a sinister impression in his mind that's going to lead to some serious problems in the future. Uh, yes. I don't think he's really dealt with the issues. No. Well, yeah, no. Mm -mm. Nope, nope. Malcolm would go on to study at a number of colleges in the United States before finally graduating with a Bachelor of Arts degree in 1967, then returning to Ireland in 1974. Must be nice to have a life of grandeur, be able to study abroad. (laughs) I know, right? I would have loved to take a semester and go study abroad, but maybe not with him. No. (laughs) In that same year, Malcolm's father, Danny, passed away and the family farm was sold, leaving Malcolm an inheritance of 100,000 euros, which would be equivalent to $1.5 million today. That's a nice little nest egg to be left. Yeah, I can see why he was, you know, not wanting to lose that luxury life he had there. $1.5 million? We could do some cool shit with that, I think, Court. We, we could get in some trouble. For sure. <laughs> 
Throughout the 1970s, Malcolm lived off his inheritance and living a life of leisure. Well accepted in the upper-class social scene, he was regarded as an eccentric intellectual, becoming a well-known figure on Dublin's social scene. See, this is kind of where I get like the Jack the Ripper vibes, because when Jack the Ripper was one of the ones that I studied big time when I was throughout college, I always picked him to do my papers on and stuff, because it's just a, an interesting thing. And one of the main leads in Jack the Ripper was a elite socialite person that was kind of upper echelon of, of society in England, and he kind of had kind of this same kind of abusive parents, abusive father, really. And it caused him to do what he did to those different women. So this is where I kind of get that Jack the Ripper vibe. And if you haven't read Patricia Conwell's Jack the Ripper book, you should really pick it up and read it because our listeners, if you're readers, you will love it. I can totally agree with that too. <laughs> because it's always, I'm going to say always, but you find a lot like in that really high upper social elite class, they're into some crazy, kinky, off the wall, sometimes horrific, like brutal shit yeah. because they have already had so much that they yeah. need a taste for something else. Exactly. And and we actually talked about this one time at dinner together, me and you, Court, about how they will eat weird <laughs> stuff. Great conversation for dinner. <laughs> it was. But how they'll eat weird stuff just because it's elite and it's, I'll eat calf brains raw because, or monkey brains raw because, oh, it's elite and nobody else will do it. And it's special to me. And so you really get that kind of a pattern up there, you know, in the upper socialite airs of different countries. Agreed. Known for his eccentric attire, wearing bow ties and cravettes, and hanging out in fashionable pubs in Dublin, where he met his wife, Brenda Little, a friend of a barrister, or also known as a lawyer, Patty Connolly, who eventually became Ireland's attorney general. I just love the name Patty, P-A-D-D-Y, the way they spell that. I just love it. The whole way through, I was like, I really like these names. (laughs) (sighs) Almost makes me want to have another kid. Nope, nope, no, it doesn't. Not really. By 1982, Malcolm had spent most of what he had on living the high life, spending outside of his means. And in May of the same year, Malcolm took his wife, Brenda, and their seven-year-old son, Paul and Malcolm, on holiday to the Canaries. After six weeks of being there, his inheritance ran out. First of all, who the hell takes a six weeks vacation? Like, I, I can't even fathom that. I don't, like, that's crazy. And I wouldn't want to go on from home that long. Like, that's... I, I don't even no. know what to do for six weeks and another... I mean, I, I guess there would be something. But after about, I would think, like, maybe two weeks, you'd be like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I'm about done and spent all I can. Yeah. It's a long time. It is. Draining his inheritance funds, Malcolm moved Brenda and their son to Spain. Now, I don't fucking understand that. If he's draining his inheritance, how the hell did he have money to move him to Spain? I mean, maybe it was like a cheaper economy to live there. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know what Spain had to do with it. I never could find anything of why Spain is where he chose to move him to. Yeah. I, don't, I don't get it. It was when the inheritance money ran out that Malcolm began to form a bizarre plan to fund his lifestyle through armed robbery. Now, I'm just going to say right here, this is not going to go fucking well. And for all of our listeners, do not attempt to do this. This is not a good way to make a living. You're going to get caught or you're going to be shot and killed. Like, I mean, I mean, yeah, just go out. I don't know. Get some jobs or something. I don't know. Just this. That's a bad idea. Robin Banks is is never going to work out well for you. Can we say mistake number one? Especially in this day and age, even back in 1982, when this was going on, it's a bad time to be robbing banks because they're pretty smart by then. They've got cameras up. They're they're looking for people. They've already put the die packs and the money. I mean, it's kind of dumb. I'm just saying. Agreed. And nowadays, it's even worse. Like, there's no way you're going to get away with a bank robbery. No. On July 8th, 1982, Malcolm returned to Dublin, Ireland alone, telling Brenda he was going to Switzerland to sort out his finances and giving Brenda the impression he would return. Okay, now, Corey, if you were Brenda, I'd be like, that wouldn't bitch you gone. have questioned him? Like, <laughs> that bitch how, gone. <laughs> how are you making it to Switzerland if we don't have any money? Like, I don't understand how she wouldn't he, he have questioned that. He went out that. for milk. 
and that's it. Well, he no, never he, came back. He told her though that he was going. Like I don't understand like how she would have been like, okay, we don't have money unless she didn't know that they were in a financial problem. Like she didn't know his plan to rob shit. Yeah, I'm sure he didn't discuss with her any point of what he was doing. Once back in Dublin, Malcolm decided he needed to first purchase a gun to carry out his plans of robbery to continue the lifestyle he'd grown accustomed to, and responded to an advertisement by a farmer in Edinburgh who had a shotgun for sale. However, having no transportation and needing to get from Dublin to Edinburgh, he decided to steal a car. Wow. Mm. He's just riddled with mistake after mistake on this one. On July 22nd, Malcolm attacked 27-year-old Britty Gargan, a nurse, while she was sunbathing in Phoenix Park, Dublin, during her time off of work. Malcolm, intending to steal Brady's car, bludgeoned her with a lump hammer, and in the ensuing confusion, Malcolm drove off, leaving the dying Brady on the back seat of her car. Another fucking mistake? Yeah, at this point, it almost feels like he has like a, a mental break. Just from the, you know, the, the stuff that we found in this case, he's just blowing and going. Like he's not, there's no reasoning behind him. There's no trying to even have a thought process in it. It's just like he's just blowing and glowing. So it's really interesting to see how his mental state starts to develop here. Agreed. A man who was nearby a gardener at the American ambassador's residence named Patty Brin tried to intervene, but Malcolm pointed a gun at him and then jumped into Brady's car and drove away. The gun, however, was fake. (laughs) (laughs) Of course it was. I mean, this guy definitely didn't have the luck of the Irishman. Hey. But he kind of did, though. I guess. I mean, he's... No, 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 because watch. He kind of does have the leg of Irishman. Just hold on. This would be a big mistake from Malcolm, as now there was an eyewitness who could identify him. Fucking amateur. Tori, what is it that you always say? (laughs) Never have witnesses when you're going to do crimes. Yep. It will fuck you over every time. He loved a witness. (sighs) At this point, a passing ambulance would become involved and escorted Malcolm to the hospital as the ambulance driver mistook Malcolm for a doctor because of a wide screen sticker that was on Birdie's car for the hospital, which Birdie had because she was a nurse. I'm sorry. I want to know how the fuck did this happen? Why the fuck would a doctor have a bludgeoned woman bleeding out everywhere on the backseat of his car and taking her to the hospital? Like they didn't go, hmm. Okay. That's suspicious. First of all, I have a sticker of a fat stripper on a pole with eggs underneath it that says, mind your business, I need eggs. Okay. So if somebody drives up behind me and I have somebody bludgeoned in the back of the seat, are they going to think I'm an egg lady that's selling eggs? No. I mean, come on. How stupid is this damn freaking ambulance driver i mean give me a break dude no that was just very very ignorant on the ambulance driver's part but even more so i also think maybe that because she was bludgeoned and she was probably dying they were more concerned with just getting her help than to worry about who he was or how he got her there they probably thought i'll sort it out at the hospital you know what else they could have done they could have fucking radioed the hospital and said hey we probably need some police presence when we pull up uh yeah uh hey by the way i think there's something wrong here (laughs) send out the bobby (laughs) that's england close enough (laughs) go old school american slang they're called the popo the popo the popo Malcolm would abandon the car nearby, leaving Bertie's lifeless body in the back seat. Three days later, Malcolm, having found an alternative means of transportation, went to Edinburgh to meet farmer Donald Toon, who had advertised the shotgun for sale in the classified ad. I feel like this is not going to end well. No, it's not going to end well at all. But you know, when the ambulance driver just let him take off and didn't even think about the help. See, luck of the Irish. I mean, I, I don't know if it's luck of the Irish or the stupidness of him. I don't understand this at all. On inspecting the gun, Malcolm turned the weapon on Donald and shot him dead before stealing his car and driving back to Dublin. At the time, Malcolm was staying with his friend Paddy Connolly in his apartment in Pilot View, an area in Dublin. Paddy Connolly was Ireland's then Attorney General. That shit's so funny, dude. (laughs) 
That's no bueno. <laughs> Can you imagine like one of your oldest friends you're like, yeah, she can come stay in my guest room. Oh yeah, by the way, I've done killed some people and robbed some people. No shit. You know, he was like, what the fuck? I bet old Patty was like, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I am sure he had some choice words for him when they finally figured it out. Yep. Investigators would link the two murders and soon had a description of the person they wanted thanks to the eyewitness. On August 13, 1982, after a massive search, Malcolm was arrested on the private property of Patty Connolly, where Malcolm had been staying for quite some time as a guest. <laughs> I'm telling I mean, you, dude. Look, I would be better than a three-legged dog trying to bury a turd on an ice pond if someone was staying with me and got arrested for murder in my home. Like, yeah. seriously. <laughs> three-legged dog on an ice pond. Okay. I don't even know what I would, I, I think I would just be in total shock. But first of all, I think when he would have shown up initially without his family, I'd have been like, what the fuck are you doing here? Where's where's the kid? Where's the wife? Like, what's going on? I think you would have been like, hey, Corey, how's it going? Like, well, how's kids? Like, you want to FaceTime your family? <laughs> you doing okay? Like, what's, what's up? <laughs> you randomly show up. I feel like this is, hmm. yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, I, I'm sure there was some more conversation that we don't know about that took place, but I definitely would have been questioning it a little bit more. Like, hey, hey, dude, what's up? Where, 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 where are your people? <laughs> Fucking sure. <laughs> Patty Connolly, who had been getting ready to go on holiday, continued on his journey to the United States and did not give any interviews to the police on the matter. Well, I mean, that just makes him look fucking guilty of doing something. I mean, I cannot believe also they would let the attorney general just fucking leave after there's been two murders that his house guest has committed. I don't understand how that happens. I don't either. I mean, at this point, I guess they're just like trying to piece together it and it's not all falling into place yet. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I'm just blabbergasted all the way around with it because it's like, first of all, if I was the investigators in this, I'd be like, you're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. We're going to sit down and figure this all the fuck out. Like, y'all need to start talking. Now, of course, the attorney general guy's probably like, nope, I ain't talking about that. some legal representation. I ain't talking to you at all. He probably has the right to say that because he's the leading prosecutor in the country. Thank you very much. But it's so sloppy at this point. It is. As you can imagine, this created a shit show of a scandal with the attorney general being tied up in this matter. A serious effort was made to prevent the relationship between Connolly and Malcolm becoming public, and it was claimed that the relationship between the two was a homosexual one, something that was just later discounted. I want to know how the hell Ireland's government thought that this was the best way to spin this fucking story. Like, what? I don't even know. How dude. did that happen? Let's make him homosexuals because it'll make more sense at this point. I don't even know how this happens, but I know the European press is brutal and I know they do anything for a story. So I'm sure it was probably made up. I don't know that the necessary that the government decided to put that out, but it's really funny. It's really funny. I was like, who was the handler on the press for that? <laughs> like, I mean, it probably goes a little bit better because back then you're talking about 1982. Yeah, that's right around the peak of where they were really coming out about gay men. You know, AIDS was right on the cusp of it being between the gay men. So I can see kind of why they went with that spin. Patty Connolly was promptly requested to return to Ireland, where he then resigned on August 16th. I would sure fucking hope so. <laughs> I probably would have resigned my post before I got on the plane from the United States or just since like a Dear John letter. Yeah, <laughs> a Dear John letter. I'm not coming back. Would that have worked? <laughs> I'm not coming back. Dear government, while it's been fun, I really liked our relationship, but it's not working out, so I'm just going to stay here. I feel like he could have been extradited back. <laughs> Maybe. Malcolm would tell investigators that he had killed Britty while trying to rob her car, stating he needed the car to rob a bank so he could address his financial problems. He panicked, abandoned the car, but finally sourced a vehicle after shooting Donald Dunn. His whole plan was shit from the beginning. I mean, a man who was held this highly intellectual, he's a fucking idiot. Yeah. I mean, intellectually, yeah, he probably could, you know, definitely solve the engineering issues of the world, but he damn sure can't pull off a murder and a robbery to save his life. No, at all. 
After Malcolm's arrest, he admitted murdering Britty Gargan, and because of this, he was not tried for Donald Dunn's murder as the state entered a plea of, go ahead, Corey, say it for me. No persique. Thank you. Which is a declaration by which a plaintiff or prosecutor ends a legal suit. Now, I cannot believe the prosecution did not charge him with Donald's murder. Like, that's well, fucking crazy. Here in good old America, we call it non-prosecution. <laughs> but over there, they add a little twist to it. I they mean, bougie it up. They bougie it up. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I just, I don't understand why they didn't go after him all the way. They had everything they needed. There was no reason to really make a deal with him. But I guess, you know, the Irish are a little bit tougher than us Americans. I don't know what to tell you. You mean more lenient? Well, I mean... I guess. I don't know. I, I don't really, I'm a little lost for words here with this one because I don't understand why they never prosecuted him for it. I don't either. It makes no sense to me. Nope. This led to a petition of 10,000 signatures to ensure Malcolm would be tried for Donald's murder. However, this was unsuccessful. The then T-Shock Charles Howay described the crimes as grotesque, unbelievable, bizarre, and unprecedented, coining the acronym GUBU. Which I had never fucking heard of before, but I was like, okay. I mean, to me, it might have been some politicalness behind why they didn't go after Donald's murder for this guy. He was high in the upper echelon of Ireland's society. So, I mean, it might have been that he made enough friends in the right places to get him out of it. Very well could be. And just so you listeners know, T-Shock is the head of the government in Ireland appointed by the president. So, because I had no clue what that was. Among Malcolm's belongings after his arrest, detectives discovered a small piece of paper showing Malcolm was planning to kill his mother and make the murder look like an accidental electrocution and inherit 60,000 euros, the remaining of the family's estate. In the note, he wrote, electric fire with faulty plug attached, adapter left in walls, perhaps fused, adapter plug pulled out, none of my fingerprints, take away one of her fuses if it appears that there are too many with and body of fire fucking sick bastard i wonder what his mother fucking thought after she heard this if she knew him she probably was like hmm, probably saw it coming i wonder if she visited him in jail i don't know yeah probably i mean not. that would i mean you my kids could do a lot i mean they could probably kill somebody i'd still love them but i don't know if they were playing in my murder i'd be like eh. <laughs> that hurt my feeling. that might hurt the one feeler i have i know <laughs> Though it did not emerge at the time of Malcolm's arrest and trial, detectives had clear suspicions about the plot to kill his mother. There was also concern that he might have intended to kill friend Attorney General Patty Connolly. I bet Patty's asshole puckered when he learned this little piece of information. I know, right? He's probably like, what the fuck? I helped you out so much and now you're going to try to murder me? Thanks a lot, buddy. His sinisterness was definitely on the high here. He's an interesting specimen altogether. I mean, obviously, he probably blames his mom for the abuse he suffered from his dad's hands. You know, Patty was the only nice enough guy to come through for him. And then the government spends as a homosexual relationship. Yeah, he's definitely got some uh, deep rooted issues. For sure. During the police examination of Malcolm's background, detectives became suspicious about how his father died suddenly on Malcolm's first visit to the family home in several years. What? <laughs> Okay, right away, I'd have been like... Nobody thought that, first of all. I know, right? If I was his mom, I'd be like, wait a minute, you come home and your dad dies? Mm, something's, something's not sitting right here. That's strange. It was believed at the time that Danny MacArthur had died of natural causes in his sleep. No post-mortem was carried out. And after his father's death in the late 70s, police learned that Malcolm had inherited 100,000 euros from the estate, which he had squandered. Police now consider Danny MacArthur's death as under suspicious circumstances. I think we can all agree that Malcolm is a sick fuck. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And come on, detectives, you guys didn't put this together earlier. I mean, that's a little interesting, especially, I mean. I mean, he could have gone on to be a serial killer if he had not gotten caught. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. 100% on that. I just, I don't understand how they didn't put this together faster. Me either. Especially with the large inheritance that he inherited from his family estate. And the mom only seemed like it, she only inherited like half of that. 
yeah. They sold it. She ended up moving with a caretaker like down the road in a much smaller house. Yeah. So definitely, I don't know why they didn't put, start putting these pieces together long before he went and murdered more people. Agreed. In January 1983, Malcolm was convicted of Riddy's murder in one of the shortest ever cases in the legal history of Ireland. Well, it better be. It was a pretty fucking open and shut case there, court. <laughs> Agreed. Malcolm pleaded guilty and the case lasted only five minutes, even though more than 260 witnesses were expected to be called. That would have been fucking overkill. Oh, my gosh. I'd have been pissed at the Irish government for making me sit there through that. I oh, know. If I had been on the drive, I'd be like, motherfucker's already guilty. Why am I listening to 260 people dummy the same uh-uh. bullshit? I ain't doing it. No, I'm not bullshit, but the same thing over and over again. Yeah, that's I'm not doing it. No. Malcolm was given a life sentence of 30 years in prison. Becoming, 30 years again? Yep. That's, what is that? life that's not life, dude. Agreed. Holy shit. I'm going over to England and Ireland. I'm going to start committing some murders. No seriously. shit. Becoming one of the longest surviving lifers and dubbed as the gentleman killer because of his dapper dress sense by the press. I just want to say he's one of the longest for 30 years. That to me seems really fucking short. They're very lenient. It seems like. I know. There. Like, seriously, if you want to commit a murder or do some heinous acts, go fucking over there because this is crazy. It's pretty fucked up. It is. You want to hear some more fucked up shit? Mm. In 2003, Malcolm was transferred from Mount Joy Prison to Shelton Abbey, an open prison in County Wicklow. The transfer was intended to assess Malcolm's suitability for release after the parole board recommended he be free after years of being a model prisoner. After the transfer, Malcolm was granted temporary release each Christmas day, spending a few hours of freedom with his family. What the fuck? Oh my gosh, seriously, this is crazy. I mean, that's bullshit. Birdie and Donald's family, parents... They don't, just spend, they don't time. Have to spend any time with yeah. him anymore. Like, that's bullshit. That's fucked up. I'm like, this is not, they didn't serve justice here. No, not I'd at be all. pissed if I was these And I'd be scared victims. to let him out because, you know, he's model prisoner or not. He's just planning his next, you know, big murder. Absolutely. You don't think he doesn't know how to act? Yeah, exactly. Oh. I mean, he's sinister. There's a lot of prisoners I've met that have went to prison who are completely different people behind bars than they are in, in, when they're out in the street. And it is crazy because they all go in there. They all find God. They all talk about how great they are because that's all they got to do in there. Centoya. But the second you let him back out, whoo, Katie by the doors, here they come. Yep. Agreed. Malcolm was released from Shelton Abbey Prison in Wicklow on September 17, 2012, after serving 30 years for Bertie Gargan's murder. Malcolm was released under reviewable temporary release conditions where he is monitored by the probation service and could be returned to prison if he were to breach the guidelines for release. Well, what? I mean, he shouldn't even fucking be out yet. I know. I mean, that's fucking crazy. I know. When I saw that he was already out, I got really, really excited. Maybe, maybe, maybe we could go over to Ireland and have him on the show. Well, hey, you know what? How about if the prosecution <laughs> had charged him for Donald's murder? He might still be in fucking jail. I'm just saying. We no, we're not. Can... Well, I'll go to Ireland, but we're not looking for this motherfucker. Although I do I, like Dublin. I, I could write oh, some letters. I love Dublin. We, we could find him. Oh, we could. We, He's we still could. alive. We could find him. He's still alive. What do you think, listeners? Should we go over to Ireland and try to find him and see if we can get him live on our podcast? Courtney would be so excited. It's okay. I bet we could get him to do it. If you can convince him, I might do that because I really like, really, really love Ireland a lot. Well, or maybe we could fly him here and come in. No, we're not flying him here. (laughs) Absolutely fucking not. No. He could come in your laundry room. It would be so much fun. Nope, 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 nope. Because if something goes wrong, we know we can kill the motherfucker because we won't be serving that long. Oh, true. High five. True that. So I'm just saying. (laughs) 
Malcolm MacArthur rejoined the Irish public in 2017, attending the book launch of former Irish Minister of Justice, Alan Shatter. According to the Irish Independent, Malcolm was not acknowledged at the book launch wearing a white linen jacket and slacks. And at one point, he stood just a few feet from current Justice Minister Charlie Flanagan. I bet he was like, what the fuck? Why am I standing next to this fucking murderer? He's like, hey, friend, how's it going? How you doing? I don't want to be your next victim. (laughs) I might have, you know, went somewhere else. Yeah. After having his book signed by Mr. Shatter, Malcolm told the newspaper, I have absolute regard for him. He knows the law. What an arrogant motherfucker. Like, <laughs> this is great, dude. He is totally flaunting it. I mean, he's totally flaunting he got away with it. He's like, uh-huh. this is total sinisterness on his part. Think about it. He is out in public and he is talking to the press and he is totally flaunting who he is and getting away with what he got away with. Son Absolutely. Son of a bitch. 11 years later, now age 77, Malcolm lives as a free man in Dublin and has said he spends his days walking around town, listening to the radio, reading and studying. What the fuck? It must be nice. I mean, he has committed two murders, more than likely killed his father, planned to kill his best friend and his mother. And he's just fucking walking around. I mean, this is crazy. I don't understand this. This is crazy. I'm so happy right now because this means I can find him and we are just totally going to go interview him. Court, come on. This will be our first interview. It would be great. Go ahead. Try reach. <laughs> Everything I've read, he refuses to do interviews with anybody. Well, we just so got to walk the go- streets of, of Dublin, it looks like, and we'll find him. <laughs> we just have to look her for the dapper gentleman there with white hair. There you go. Sit down with him at a local pub and be like, hello. Hello. So, hey, hi, how are you doing? We we'll have totally to hire can... a local to like show us the local pubs because, you know, he was not going to be in a tourist motherfucking pub. I just feel like I hear vacation. <laughs> It'll take us two weeks to find him. <laughs> Girls trip vacation? Girls trip. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> all right, Corey, your favorite part, the mistakes. Oh, this thing is riddled with mistakes. I kind of already all talked about them. But, you know, of course, having somebody as an eyewitness never works out for you. If you're going to commit murders or any kind of crime, don't have accomplices because it will always fuck you over. Number two, terrible job on law enforcement's side of it not putting together about his dad's murder. I mean, that's something a little sinister and weird because, you know, his mom knew he was a little off. Absolutely. you know, And his she- wife did, too, probably. Definitely mistake there. You know, leaving the girl's bludgeon body in the back of the seat. <laughs> the mistake on the ambulance driver's part to not be like, hey, I think something's wrong here. I mean, just riddled with mistakes. I mean, I don't necessarily know that they could have stopped him from doing what he's going to do, but definitely a lot of mistakes in this one. Absolutely. Okay. As always, stay, stay strange and unusual. unusual. We'll be back next week with another cocktail and a new tale of sinister minds or menacing crimes and mistakes they left behind. Thanks for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe and download us on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite show. Want the recipe to try Corey's Sinister Cocktail from today's episode? Or have any constructive feedback or true crime stories you would like to hear us cover? Or even Sinister Cocktail recipes for us to try? Email us at SinisterCrimesAndCocktails at gmail.com. Visit our website, www.SinisterCrimesAndCocktailsPodcast.com, Facebook page, Sinister Crimes and Cocktails, and our Instagram page, Sinister Crimes and Cocktails. Love what you heard and want to help support our show or donate to our Sinister Cocktail Fund? You can donate to our cash app at money sign Sinister Crimes, all one word, and we will give you a shout out on our next episode and which fund you donate to. Thank you.
I'm over here. Ring, ring. 